Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Mildred Keith Pleasant Plains considered itself quite a town. It stood high above the river on two plains, the upper familiarly known as the Bluff. It was laid out in very wide, straight streets, crossing each other at right angles. There were perhaps two hundred dwelling houses, principally frame, but with a goodly proportion of log cabins and a respectable sprinkling of brick buildings. The county seat, it had its courthouse and jail. There were some half dozen stores where almost everything could be had, from dress goods to butter and eggs, and from a plowshare to a fine cambric needle. Two taverns, as many blacksmith, shoemaker, and carpenter shops, a flouring mill, and a bakery. Also two churches belonging to different denominations, both frame structures of extremely plain and unpretentious architecture, with bare walls, uncurtained windows, rough uncarpeted floors, and rude hard benches in lieu of pews. No thought of architectural beauty or even a, of comfort and convenience. Beyond that of mere protection from the weather, seemed to have entered the minds of any of the builders here. The houses were mere shells with no cupboards or closets or the slightest attempt at ornamentation, nor was their unsightliness concealed by vines, trees, or sh shrubbery. Almost every one of the beautiful monarchs of the forest, once adorning the locality, had been ruthlessly felled, and a stump here and there was all that was left to tell of their former existence. As the keel of the Marianne grated on the gravelly shore, a tall figure in rough farmer attire came springing down the bank, calling out in tones of unfeigned joy, Hallo, Keith! Come at last! Wife, children, and all, eh? I'm glad to see ye. Never was more delighted in my life. And the speaker, catching Mr. Keith's hand in his, shook it with hearty good will. Then treating the rest of the party in like manner, as with his and Mr. Keith's assistance, each in turn stepped from the boat. Mr. George Ward was an old client and friend of Mr. Keith's, who had been long urging this removal. I declare I wish I lived in town for a few days now, he went on, but we're three mile out on the prairie, as you know, Keith. I have my team here, though, and if you like to pow into the wagon, all of you, I'll take you home with me, as it is, and was declined with thanks. There are, are quite too many of us, Mr. Ward, Mrs. Keith said smilingly, and we want to get into a house of our own just as soon as possible. Ah, yes, so your husband wrote me, and I've been looking round for you. And the be but the best that's to be had will seem a poor place to you, Mrs. Keith, after what you've left behind in Lansdale. I suppose so, but of course we must expect to put up with many inconveniences, and probably some hardships even. 
for the first few years, she answered cheerfully. I'm afraid that's so, but I hope you'll find yourselves paid for it in the long run. Now shall I take you to the Union Hotel? You can't, of course, get into your own house tonight. Here, let me carry your bub. Picking up Cyril, the soil's real sandy here and makes heavy walking. If, as I presume from your recommendation of it, it is your best house of entertainment, Mr. Keith said in reply to the question. Yes, sir, there's only one other, and it's a very poor affair, returned Mr. Ward, leading the way. Mrs. Pryor, the landlady, a pleasant-faced, middle-aged woman with kind, motherly manners, met them at the door with a welcome nearly as hearty as that of their old-time friend. "'I'm glad to see you,' she said, bustling about to wait upon them. "'We've plenty o' room here in town for the right sort of folks, and glad to get him. She had taken them into her parlor, the only one the house afforded. The furniture was plain, a rag carpet, green paper blinds, a table with a rod and black cover, windsore chairs, two of them rocking chairs with chintz-covered cushions, the rest straight-backed and hard, on the high wooden mantel shelf an old-fashioned looking-glass, a few shells and two brass candlesticks, these last bright as scaring could make them. I'm afraid it must seem but a poor place to you ladies, she continued, pushing forward a rocking chair for each, and you're dreadful tired, ain't you, with your long journey? Do sit down and rest yourselves. You are very kind, and everything looks very nice indeed, Mrs. Keith answered, looking up at her with a pleased smile as she accepted the offered seat and began untying her baby's bonnet strings. Indeed, I, for one, didn't expect to find half as good accommodations out in these western wilds, remarked Aunt Wealthy, glancing round the room. I thought you had no floors to your carpets. No floors? Oh, yes. Rather rough, to be sure. Carpenters here don't make the best of work, and I think sometimes I could have most plain a board better myself, but to get the carpets is the rub. We mostly make them ourselves, and the weavings often done so poor that they don't last no time hardly. Soil's sandy, you see, and it cuts the carpets right out. They say this country's hard on women and oxen, put in Mr. Ward, and I I'm afraid it's pretty true. Now don't be frightening them first thing, Mr. Ward, laughed the landlady. Come, take off your things and the children's ladies and make yourselves to home. Here, just let me lay em in here, she went on, opening an inner door and revealing a bed covered with a patchwork quilt. You can have this room if you like, Mrs. Keith. I suppose you'd prefer a downstairs one with the baby and to other little ones. There's a trundle bed underneath. That'll do for them. And the rest of you can take the two rooms right over these. They're all ready, and you can go right up to them whenever you like. Is there anything more I can do for you now? The query was answered in the negative. Then I'll just excuse myself, she said, for I must go and see to the supper. Can't trust your girls here. She passed out through another door, leaving it ajar. That's the dining room I know, Fan, cause I see two big tables set, whispered Cyril, peeping in, and there's not a bit of carpet on the floor. Guess they're cleanin' house. Well, wife, I'll have to leave you for a little. I must see to the landing of our goods, said Mr. Keith, taking his hat. Will you go along, Ward? And let us go up and look at our rooms, girls, said Mildred to her sisters. Mayn't we, mother? Yes, go and make yourselves neat for the supper table. 
They came back reporting bare floors everywhere, of boards none too well planed either, but everything scrupulously clean. Then we will be, then we may well be content," said their mother. The gentlemen returned, and the guests were presently summoned by the ringing of a bell on the top of the house to the supper table, which they found furnished with abundance of good, wholesome, well-cooked food. And they were really able to make a very comfortable meal, despite the presence of deliware, two-pronged steel forks, and the absence of napkins. What's about the goods, Stuart? asked Mrs. Keith on their return to the parlor. I have had them carted directly to the house, that is, I believe the men are at it now. The house? The one Ward spoke of. I have taken it. It was Hobson's choice, my dear, or you should have seen it first. Can I see it now? Why, yes, if you choose. It won't be dark yet for an hour. If you and Aunt Wealthy will put on your bonnets, I'll take you round. Ada and me too, father, cried Zilla eagerly. And Fan and Don and me, chorused Cyril. You couldn't think of going without your eldest son, said Rupert, looking about for his hat. Mrs. Keith turning an inquiring eye upon her husband. Is it far? No. Even Fan can easily walk it. Let them come. You too, Mildred. Taking the babe from her arms, I'll carry baby. We'll make quite a procession, laughed the young girl. Won't the people stare? What if they do? Who of us cares? Not I, cried Rupert, stepping back from the doorway with a commanding wave of the hand. Procession will please move forward, Mr. Keith and wife. Taking the lead, Miss Stanhope and Miss Keith next in order. Zillian, Ada, following close upon their heels, the three inseparables after them, while Marshal Rupert brings up the rear to see them all are in line. Everybody laughed at this sally, while they promptly fell into line as directed, passed out upon the sidewalk, and pursued their way through the quiet streets. People did stare, to be sure, from open doors and windows, some asking, who are they? Others answering, newcomers, and they've got a big family to support. Some remarked that they were nice-looking people, while others shook their heads wisely or dubiously and said they expected they were real stuck-up folks, dressed so dreadful fine. However, the subjects of these charitable comments did not overhear, and therefore were not disturbed by them. Do you see that yellow frame yonder, wife? Mr. Keith asked as they turned a corner with the gable end to the street and two doors in it, one above and one below. The same. It looks like a warehouse. That's what it was originally intended for, but finding it not available for that purpose, the owner offered it for rent. And is it the one you have rented? Yes. A poor place to take you to, but de my dear, but, as I told you, it was Hobson's choice. Then we'll make the best of it and be thankful. What a horrid old thing, remarked Mildred in an undertone, heard only by Aunt Wealthy. We'll hope to find the inside and an improvement on the out, was the cheerful rejoinder. It has need to be, I should say, cried the girl as they drew near. Just see, it fronts on two streets and there's not a bit of a space separating it from either. Doors open right out onto a sandbank. That's what was made by digging the cellar, said Rupert. There's a big yard at the side and behind, said Zilla. Something green in it, too, added Ada, whose sight was imperfect. 
Nothing but a crop of ugly weeds, said Mildred, ready to cry as memory brought vividly before her the home they had left, with its large garden, carpeted with green grass, adorned with shrubbery and filled with the bloom of summer flowers. The June roses must be out now, and the woodbine, the air sweet with their delicious perfume, and they who had planted and tended them so far away in this desolate-looking spot. Not a tree, a shrub, a flower, or a blade of grass, she went on sighing as she spoke. Never mind, we'll have lots of them next year, if I plant every one myself, said Rupert. The last load of their household goods had just been brought up from the river. The men were carrying in the heavy boxes and setting them down upon the floor of the front room. The door stood wide open, and they all walked in. Not a bit of a hall, exclaimed Mildred, not a cupboard or closet, nothing but four bare walls and two windows each side of the front door. Yes, the floor and ceilings, corrected Rupert. And another door on the other side, said Ada, running and opening it. Not a mantelpiece to set anything on, nor any chimney at all. How on earth are we going to keep warm in the winter time? Mildred went on, ignoring the remarks of her younger brother and sister. With a stove, miss, pipes run up through the floor into the room above. There's a flue there, said one of the men, wiping the perspiration from his forehead with the sleeve of his check shirt. Mr. Keith stopped to settle with the man for their work, and the others walked on into the next room. It was as bare and more dreary than the first, somewhat larger, but had only one window, that and an outside door opening directly upon the side street. Back of the two rooms, and in a line with them, was the kitchen, smaller than either of the other rooms, but provided with a chimney and fireplace, and also a small, dark closet under a flight of steep and crooked stairs which led from it to the story above. This, as they found on climbing up to it, consisted of two rooms, the first extending over a kitchen and sitting room, the other over the front room and of exactly the same size. The stairs led directly into the first room, and it must be passed through to reach the second, therefore had not the recommendation of privacy. What a house, grumbled the children, how we ever live in it. Such a few rooms and not a bit nice. Mrs. Keith stood in the middle of that large, barn-like upper room, saying never a word, but her heart sinking lower and lower as she glanced from side to side, taking in the whole situation. Aunt Wealthy saw it and came to the rescue. Never mind, dearie. It will look very different when we have unpacked and arranged your furniture. With the help of curtains, several rooms can be made out of this, and we'll do nicely. Yes, no doubt we shall, Auntie, Mrs. Keith answered with determined cheerfulness. That front room shall be yours. No, no, you and Stuart must take that. I'm quite set on having my own way in this, interrupted the younger lady in her turn. It is the best room, and you must take it. Don't hesitate or object, for I should be afraid to have my little ones in there, with that outside door opening on to nothing, she concluded with a laugh. Well, wife, what do you think? asked Mr. Keith, coming up the stairs. That we can be very happy here if we make up our minds to be content with our lot. 
That is like you, Marcia, always ready to make the best of everything, he said with a pleased look. I think it's a dreadful place, exclaimed Mildred, like a great barn and so dirty. Plaster all over the floor and spattered on the windows, too. I hope it can be cleaned, her father said, laughing at her rueful face. Mrs. Pryor can probably tell us where to find a woman to do it. A little more time was spent in discussing plans for the arrangement of the inside of the dwelling. Then they stepped into the side yard and viewed it from the out. A great dead wall of rough weatherboarding broken by one window only, and that in the second story was what met their view as they looked up. Down below, first a heap of sand, beyond that a wilderness of weeds and brushwood. I'm dumb with despair, cried Mildred, folding her hands with a tragical air. Can dumb folks talk? asked Cyril. As ugly as mud this side, remarked Zilla, turning up her nose scornfully as she scanned the unsightly wall. We'll cover it with vines, said Aunt Wealthy, and I'll clear the yard and sod it, added Rupert, seizing a great moorland stalk and pulling it up by the roots as he spoke. Twon't be nearly so hard as the clearing the early pioneers of Ohio had to do. Our grandfather's among the rest. That's the right way to look at it, my boy, responded Mr. Keith heartily. Come now, we'll lock up the house and go back to our hotel for the night. There's a log house nearly opposite, remarked Rupert when they were in the street again, and the next is a real shabby one-and-a-half-story frame with a blacksmith shop attached. We haven't the worst place in town after all. Ho, look at the sign. G. Lightcap. What a name, especially for a blacksmith. Mrs. Pryor joined her guests in the parlor after the younger portion had gone to bed. Well, how'd you like the house, she asked. I hope we shall be able to make ourselves comfortable there, Mr. Keith answered in a cheerful tone. You can get possession right away, I suppose. Yes, and want to move in as quickly as possible, but must have some cleaning done first. Mrs. Pryor recommended a woman for that without waiting to be asked, and offered to send round at once and see if she could be engaged for the next day. The offer was accepted with thanks, and the messenger brought back word that Mrs. Rood would be at the house by six o'clock in the morning. But, suggested Aunt Wealthy in dismay, she'll want hot water, soap, cl claws, scrubbing brushes. I'll lend a big iron kettle to heat the water, said the landlady. A fair can be made in that kitchen fireplace, you know, or outdoors with the brushwood. And brushes and soap can be had at the store, I presume, suggested Mr. Keith. Yes, and if they ain't open in time, I'll lend mine for her to start on. Thank you very much, said Mrs. Keith. But, Stuart, we may as well unpack our own. I can tell you just which box to open. What a woman you are for doing things systematically, Marcia, he said admiringly. Yours is the best plan, I think. Can we be up in season to be on hand there at half past five, think you? We can try, she answered brightly. Mrs. Pryor, where is your market? We haven't got to that yet, ma'am, replied the landlady, laughing and shaking her head. No market? Why, how do you manage without? There's butcher shops where we can buy fresh meat once or twice a week. Beef, veal, mutton, lamb. 
just whatever they happen to kill, and we put up our own salt pork, hams, dried beef, and so forth, and keep codfish and mackerel on hand. Most, most folks have their own chickens, and the country people bring them in too, and butter and eggs and vegetables, though a good many town folks have gardens, sass of their own raisin, keep a cow and make their own butter. That's the most independent way, remarked Mr. Keith. I think I must have a cow, if I can get a girl who can milk. Do you know of a good girl? Wanting a place, Mrs. Pryor? I wish I did, but they're dreadful scarce, sir, and so sassy. You can't keep them unless you let them come to the table with the family, and you must be mighty careful what you ask him to do. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic. Thank you.